Happy New Year. Happy February. Happy everything, Flash. How are you yeah, doing? Thanks, man. Uh, doing well. Dealing with a COVID outbreak in the household. So, mm. update. Everyone is okay. Um, we will see how I do tomorrow. Because there's the, you know, just a little scratch in the throat. And I'm pretty sure that this time it's not uh, psychosomatic. The minute my son Henrik tested positive, I think within 10 minutes I was like, do I have a headache? <laughs> Is my throat sore? Can I smell that shitty diaper? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I knew right away. I knew right away. His first shit, I knew right away. I still had my smell. But uh, woke up this morning with a bit of a scratchy throat. So we'll see. We'll see how tomorrow goes. But Henrik is fine. My lovely wife, Teresa, is fine. Had a rough go of it, but she's fine. So, yeah, that's the news over here. Okay, well, hopefully your supercharged vaccine-boosted immune system will just flick it off like bullets off of Batman's cape. Yeah, we shall see. I am, I am triple, triple vax, triple boosted. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. The uh, what's the other big news? I was going to say the uh, the government in the UK can't can't stop partying. That's the big news uh, for well, you, and we got truckers taking over the capital over in Canada. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, which the I saw on the news here yesterday, but I don't fully quite get what the trucking thing is about. All I saw is there was a GoFundMe page that within like hours had millions of dollars. This is this is actually to me this is the more concerning thing about this whole thing. If you want, I can give you a quick synopsis. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Good. Um, Educate us all, Flash. Right. So there is the federal government in Canada put in a vaccine mandate for truckers crossing the border right. uh, with the U.S. So the U.S. has a similar mandate that, you know, truckers coming in and in and out okay. of the U.S. have to be vaccinated. So there's a small minority of truckers in Canada that do not like this mandate. I think the largest you know, professional association of truck drivers in Canada came out and said that they support the mandate and that like 80 to 90% of their members are vaccinated. So these people are a small minority, as with all the anti-vax stuff. Um, but that's how this thing started, was truckers upset that they couldn't cross the border. It morphed into this sort of larger thing for anyone with grievances against vaccines against lockdowns against justin trudeau himself there's a lot of people in canada right. that just hate the guy uh, and so uh that's it's kind of built into this larger thing and then of course we had i would say cynical politicians grabbing onto this thing no. yeah and you know using it for their own gains uh so members of the conservative party i am none too happy with for sort of egging this thing on uh and that's what it became is this big sort of like anyone that's mad about something um you know show up and with these sort of freedom whatever you want to call it nebulous movements because here's the thing is they don't really uh there's no organization, really. So they did have these GoFundMe pages. And the people running these GoFundMes are, you know, they're from these, like, really fringe um, provincial parties uh, from my province, Alberta. So, like, the people that want to separate from Canada from, uh, you know, that are based in Alberta, which is the dumbest idea ever. It's a landlocked province. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, 
So they started these GoFundMe pages and they get all this money. But other than this, there's not really any organization. That's what I mean. It's just whoever's angry at COVID, at the liberals, whatever, jump on board. Uh, And a lot of white supremacists and Nazis and everything else got, you know, tied up in there, uh, which shows you, you know, a little bit how these, you know, a lot of these people, we're not white supremacists, we're not Nazis. It's like, yeah, but you seem to be okay hanging out with them. You know, it's like even if, you know, even another protest that I don't really agree with, you know, like an anti-abortion protest or something like that, you know, very socially conservative movement. You know, they do their protests, whatever, whatever. They would never allow white supremacists or Nazis to like show up and just like be part of it, you know. Hey, we got when you need to boost numbers, you need to boost numbers. Right. So, so this is so that's a problem because that is an element that's there, and there's a lot of gross rhetoric that comes out of the, these movements. We had the same thing when Canada did their yellow vest, like they tried to latch onto the yellow vest thing, and there was a similar right. sort of thing. So, you see a lot of like really gross rhetoric, violence towards politicians, towards media. It's really it's become like an an American thing you know and so this is what people in canada were worried about is this going to be similar to january 6th are we going to see violence are we going to see thankfully we haven't although there's lots of reports of intimidation bullying uh that kind of thing going on from these protesters to the people that live in ottawa you know why the fuck are you wearing a mask take off your mask you pussy blah blah, blah all this kind of shit right and some some reports of violence and stuff they've had to close down malls a soup kitchen was getting harassed because they wanted food so they had to close down the soup kitchen so not great right not great and like i said it's, it becomes like a very american kind of it looks very american right all the same rhetoric that you see on fox news all that stuff even though fox news isn't based in canada we get that broadcast right uh some people are just born lucky right exactly you live next door to crazy town it's gonna it's gonna bleed over but this is the interesting thing that i want to get to is the money that gofundme page um there's some reports uh, of people following that money trail and seeing that there's a lot of american donors so a lot of american political groups you know funding this kind of thing so there is this kind of nebulous network of conservative causes and conservative you know groups that you know want to push these kind of things uh and so it's kind of no surprise that you see some of this money coming in and then you also see folks like donald trump tucker carlson talking about it on the international news and when you think about it the grand scheme of things it was like an eight thousand person protest which isn't that big it's pretty big for canada but it's not that big what's made it larger is the fact that they have these giant trucks that they've brought so there's like you know 30 or 30 to 100 i think i know i know that's a widespread but something like this i think less than 100 those trucks all look the same don't they that's the problem right exactly oh you can't say that trucks matter too bro um (laughs) so yeah yeah it's become a bit of a mess but but the fact that it raised that much money is what's troubling to me and that there's you know, I just, I see it as a, you know, uh, a foreshadowing of things to come because now they've, the conservative party has just voted to kick, to get rid of their leader who lost the last election to Justin Trudeau. But this guy was considered like kind of more of a centrist, you know, progressive and they booted him. So so it looks like, it looks like our main party, our main opposition party is going the way of hard 
you know, tacking to the right to that sort of, which is not, we saw how that worked out in the States. We saw how it worked out in, in the UK and it's, and it's not, not what I would want for, for Canada, but we'll see. Well, you, you know, you know, it's not that serious, you know, here we don't have that problem with our government because they're too busy partying. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's no fear of, you know, mass gatherings and far right or far left because they're just too busy. You know, sorry, they're working because there's wine and cheese involved. That's definitely work. Right. Um, whereas, you know, yeah, most of us, when we work, we don't have wine and cheese, but, you know, we've, we've just not reached that status in life yeah. yet, Flash. So we could all try harder. It's the privilege of number 10 Downing Street, right? Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I believe, Flash, if any of our listeners are out there and they have some sort of heart complaint, our first, and this this is only our first story, even though we've been rabbiting on for 10, 15 minutes, your first story could be could be the saving grace for them. It's true. And I mean, you know, we, we've been teasing crazy transplant stories for a while now, right? You know, and our, and our pal in Italy just hasn't got it done with the head transplant. So no. we moved to... You know, not not the scarecrow, but the Tin Man, someone who needs a heart. And I'm sure our listeners have probably heard about this. The the actual surgery happened a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago now. But the first ever pig heart transplanted into a human successfully. I actually, I think it was the first time ever attempted. I don't think it was. On, <laughs> I don't think it was, it was the first successful one. I think it was the first attempt, <laughs> and by so and so far, uh, successful. So transplanting animal organs into humans, it's called xenotransplantation or xenotransplants. Uh, this is a sort of technical term for it. And it was done to a, I believe he was 57 years old, uh, a man who had a terminal heart condition and basically had no other option. Um, he was not eligible for a human heart um, and they couldn't do a valve replacement um and i don't know the details as to why but he wasn't el eligible for these things so basically they said do you want a pig heart do you want to go for it because we will we'll do it we'll we'll try it now is the time uh and he said yeah i, I mean he's quoted in pieces being like look i knew it was a long shot i know it's a long shot but i want to live so <laughs> let's do this thing yeah well, you're back against the wall what are you gonna do yeah exactly yeah. right and so what they did is there's a company called, let me just pull it up. I have it. United Therapeutics is the parent company, but I think there's another um, smaller company within there, Revivacor or something like that, that is making these organs. So basically what they have to do, the problem is not the actual heart itself, right? The pig heart is very similar in size to the human heart. Uh, and in sort of, um, what am I, what's the word I'm thinking in for? Plumbing terms? Well, plumbing terms, yeah, like all hearts are the same. You know, they have the same valves, they have the same chambers, all of this stuff. But the positioning of those is just right. at a slightly different angle or something like this uh, because of the way that our bodies are and, and pig bodies are. But the surgeons that, that did the operation, they were like, that's not the issue. Like any competent cardiac surgeon can get around that. We have to make a few structural modifications, but that's not a problem. As with all transplantation, it's always the immune system, right? Like, will the body reject the, right. uh, the, the organ? Um, and I guess with the pig heart, another problem is they're worried about it continuing to grow 
in the human. So they put this thing in and then the pig heart right. will start growing. I don't know, I guess maybe to fill the size that's there or whatever, but right. some kind of incompatibility in the proteins or something, they're worried that it's going to keep growing. So what they had to do was these pig hearts have to be genetically modified. So they have a genetic, uh, genetically modified strain of pig, species of pig, whatever you want to call it, uh, breed of pig uh, that has, I think this one had like 10 gene knockouts. So they knocked out right. 10 okay. different genes that would, you know, express the proteins that would, that the human immune system would, would latch onto, would focus on and cause rejection. Uh, and then they had... Uh, they added some human genes so that this growth wouldn't happen. So it had like a series of knockouts and a couple of human genes put in. And then there's still, I think you still have to take immunosuppressant drugs, things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's the crux of it. They had to do this genetically modified uh, thing. And that, that, that pig is now available. So they were able to say to this guy, Hey, we have this, this company's been doing this for this purpose you're going to be the first if you want to do it he says yes they go to the fda for uh, approval fda says yeah go for it they do this and as of now he's still alive uh, and it seems to be working so it's it's a pretty big deal uh, in it, terms it, of uh, it is. organ transplant because uh, yeah in in doing a little research for the story excuse me, everything that I've read, like always talks about how there is such a need for organs. Like we don't, we can't keep up with, um, you know, with just having regular donors or people that, you know, sign the back of their license saying that they'll be a, an organ donor when they die. Like there's just not enough. I think it's something like there's a need for over a hundred thousand organs. In, like the waiting list is like a hundred thousand uh, people in the U S and like 6,000 people a year die in the U.S. waiting for an organ. So, Yeah, well, when, when the story broke here, of, um, it was it Minnesota, Minneapolis, I think, wasn't it? Maryland. Surgery? Maryland, sorry. I knew it began with M, so, you yeah. know. Nobody ever remembers Maryland. States, they blur into one. Yeah. No. Um, when the story broke here, I was chatting to some friends, and they, they were like, oh, well, you know, I never do that, whatever. Well, actually, we've been using valves from pigs yep. hearts for, for years Pig valves um, uh yeah very common yeah. yeah so so we sort of talked about that which was interesting I, I i knew that they genetically modified the pig i i wasn't sure for for what reason so it's because you went into that i think the other thing that i'd heard was there was when they and with pig valves i know they have this concern as well they they obviously take them from strains of pigs that are free of pathogens because they're worried about yeah. potential virus crossover and, and yeah, things. Yeah, so these are like lab pigs. Like, I don't think these pigs right. have ever been outside probably. or Well, I mean, maybe they go outside in their lab, whatever. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's not just, you can't just grab any old pig, right? Uh, and, you know, when you think about the other options, you know, like we said just straight up donation you got to wait for in terms of a heart you have to wait for someone to die you know uh, and you can't we can't our ability to sort of grow organs is not there yet i think we've talked about this probably on the show before like growing um you know even growing human hearts in pigs you yeah. know so doing like a stem cell sort of procedure and 
you know, starting it outside and then putting it inside the body, you know, that kind of stuff. Like this just seems like a way more efficient way to go uh, in terms of that and easier, you know, just trying to grow a human heart in a pig or grow a human heart in a dish or something like, like it's just that we're just not there yet with the technology. Like this is like, it's a pig heart. You're getting a pig heart. <laughs> You got to get over that, <laughs> but <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that when when you you know there are obviously religions out there and some people out there that don't believe in blood transplants or you know things that based on their moral beliefs or religious beliefs whatever and I I totally respect that and there's people out there that don't support animal testing and again I can get on board with that. What I've always said to those people is they're obviously not so much now but you know years gone by there was some horrific testing done on animals that we didn't need to do i'm glad that that stopped but ultimately if you or one of your loved ones could be saved by a medicine that has been tested on animals or a procedure that has been tested on do you really have the strength of character and belief to to turn that down yeah. and, and either you or your son or daughter or loved one die and i think that's the big one and i, I think with this it raises quite a lot of ethical questions but ultimately you know we're, we're killing pigs in their hundreds of thousands if not millions every day for food so and in those normal pigs we take the heart and some people use that you know as awful anyway so is there that ethical dilemma or or not that's that's some of the discussion i've had here with people around yeah it. Yeah, there's a number as of they normally tuck into a bacon sandwich but... <laughs> there's a number of ethical questions about this one of one that was okay let's lay them all out there's the animal the animal one there was another one that came up was that this guy had a criminal record the guy that right you know he was in spent time in jail for stabbing somebody i don't know the details of the case i didn't look into it i don't know if it was like self-defense or you know he stabbed the guy or whatever but in his past he had this and then People, you know, some media places started bringing that up. It was like, personally, I don't think that matters. I mean, yes, you probably could have found someone else in the future that you could have done the procedure on. Um, but it's like the time, you know, the timing's perfect. Like he got lucky with the timing, right? The heart is ready to go. It's all ready to go. It's just that. It's like, who cares? And, and, and I'm not going to be the one to, you know, judge well, he doesn't yeah. deserve it. He doesn't deserve to well, live. You know, it's like he went well, through the, the justice system. I heard on that it's done. It's done. Yeah. When the when the media jumped on his, the other flip is well, actually, maybe he deserved to be the one that was tested on. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Yeah. You know, he he served his jail time and he's a free man and you know it sounds like he's rebuilt his life and you know made recompense for what he's done, but yeah, the flip is well, you know, go and test on prisoners. That's what we should be. You know, you, I've heard that argument in the past before which i don't think is ethically sound no you know? it's super creepy argument that kind of happened in in nazi era yeah um but you know at the end of the day as you said he had a terminal illness all the other options were shut to him it, a matter of happenstance really isn't it there's got this procedure he's in the right place yeah right time let's let's try it. yeah i agree so there's that there's that's one um and then there was an ethicist quoted in one of the pieces that I read that was talking about, like, in order to get to the place where we want to be with this technology of being able to just have these hearts available and transplant them, 
are we going to cause suffering along the way to get to perfect it basically right. so it's like is it okay to even start doing this now and i mean that's a question for the doctors that's a question for uh, the bioethicists and stuff and obviously the fda made the decision that we are ready but this guy really is a canary in the coal mine in terms of like if in you know a month or two it just starts failing and he just dies a horrible even more horrible death than what he would have with his terminal heart illness you know we might they might shut down the whole thing right but yeah that's the risk isn't it yeah. yeah so those are those and, and then there is the animal question right and like you said we're we're we kill and eat animals all the time so the the hardcore you know animal rights people will say that's not even right so why then start breeding animals specifically for this purpose right because now this is what this is what will happen because they have to be genetically modified and so again hardcore animal rights people will already say like well you're modifying these animals that's not right so let's kind of move to away from the sort of hardcore they're totally going to be opposed to this let's right. try and find that place where i think a lot of people are so you eat meat you're okay with that but there, there is now, you know, we're creating a whole new, it's not like we're just taking food pigs and taking the hearts and, and using them, you know, it's not like a sustainability thing in that where, hey, at least now we're not, uh, no scraps are left behind. There's no waste, right? No, now we're creating a whole new line of pigs and there's a company or researchers in Germany. And so a research institution in Germany that's already started, um, so I guess their method is a bit simpler. They're not doing as many genetic knockouts. Uh, they right. think they can do it with less. So they've started breeding these pigs. They're going to do transplants into baboons. And in the next three to five years, they're going to they're going to do their human trials. So the, or their hearts will be ready for human trials. Right. Um, but yeah, so now we're we're, you know, we're breeding a whole strain, which I guess is basically, you know, breeding lab rats and lab animals. But if this takes off, if it works, it's not just going to be, you know, like the, the small amounts of animals that are bred for animal experiments. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you know, the small amounts of animals, it could be, you know, organ farms. Sounds kind of fucked up, right? It, does, it sounds sci-fi movie-esque, yeah. doesn't it, when you, you put it like that? Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's a way in the future then to just grow the heart right whether it's a stem cell thing or you have I, I, some kind of incubator or something like that but i don't think that's ever gonna you're never gonna replace growing it in an actual body right like that's yeah and i think that it'll be interesting because i think you know other options out there you know artificial hearts you know could we 3d print a heart could we culture one and grow one from stem cells in the in the lab you know I, it'd be interesting wouldn't it if we look back in 50 years time 20 years time 100 years time and we talk about this case you know we might be sat here going how archaic what they they modified a pig to grow a yeah. heart for a human you know because technology and knowledge is moving on at such a, yeah. a rate and yeah will we end up with organ farms will we you know just be able to repair hearts in situ where's the end you mentioned organ farms. Will we end up having designer organs? Well, I I want a bigger, beating, faster heart because I'm going to be 
a sprint athlete or where does it where does it end it this you know it does open up a massive ethical discussion i think when you look at it on the surface you go well we, we breed pigs for meat what's the difference between them for food but the whole xenotransplant thing just blows wide open into what is or should or shouldn't be done mm-hmm. for the record i'm for it you know i, I see the need for <laughs> i would take a pig heart in a second and that's that's the position I always put myself in. If I'm in that guy's position and there's no other option, what do I do? Right now, I probably would grab it with both yeah. hands. Oink, Star oink, I'm in. And, yeah. yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, I'd be showing off that scar at parties for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. But um, I can see another thing, too, of like, well, and I mean, I guess it depends on how big the global demand actually is for, for organs. I would have to look at the numbers, but you could say you could probably make a sustainability argument too of like now we have to feed more animals like we already have some you know i don't know i don't know that's yeah but the final the final weird thought i had uh on this story actually it wasn't the final one it's the final one we'll mention but it was one of the first thoughts that came into my mind when i heard it was like is this going to help shut down the illegal organ market the black right. market organ, you know, black market for organs. Because we've all heard that story, right? Of tourists goes to, you know, South America or wherever in Asia and meets a nice girl. They go out drinking. He starts to feel weird. Next thing you know, wakes up in a bathtub full of ice with no kidneys. You know, we've heard that story, right? You've heard that story. Yeah. So... I started looking into it because I was like... To be fair, I've had some hangovers where I've woke up and thought I was that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, so I started looking into it just to be like, well, okay, if, if, you know, what is the organ trade really? Like, do we have numbers on this? Like, is there is there sort of a, you know... You're not going to go undercover on me on, on this one, Flash, are you? I just, I, this is too dangerous for us, I think. Don't be going undercover. I've already, I'm already on the dark web. I'm out, you know, okay. looking for organs and seeing who answers the ad, you know, just to see what happens, just to see what happens. Uh, Can pigs use the dark web? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a pig on the other end being like, I got this great beauty for you. Oink, oink, oink. <laughs> Wait, what was that? You typed oink? Yeah. Uh, no. So the little bit, like I just did a, a quick, you know, kind of search through it. And I found one academic paper. For, it's, it's pretty old now. It's probably 10, 10 or so years old now. But basically it was laying out that like, it's not that. The organ trade is not that story that I just told. That's not what happens. Um, generally, it's, it's, it's actually much sadder. Uh, and you, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned, you know, that you saw this, some of these reports coming out of Afghanistan, uh, where people, desperate people are selling their, their organs. Um, and this is generally what the organ trade tends to look like is people in poor countries that are desperate will sell a kidney or something like this. Yeah. And there's a buyer for it. Right. So in a way this might be able to, um, alleviate some of that demand right for organs because that's the thing is that there is such a demand in western countries you know canada america europe you know everywhere there's a demand there's there's not enough organs so that leaves 
people vulnerable to being victimized by like, hey, you need money, we need organs, let's make this happen. And then there's actually a whole nother debate uh, in the ethics community about whether you should pay for organs, you know, and is that uh, an ethical thing to do, not in terms of like victimizing people on a black market, but just in our medical systems, should we say, hey, we'll pay you for a kidney if you want to be a donor. You know, it's same with like paying for uh, blood donations. Some places do that. Some places don't. Right. So that's another, you know, kind of ethical question. The other thing I found on the organ trade, because, you know, this is another one that you always hear about. Right. Is like, oh, China, they're, you know, they kill their prisoners and, and use the organs and, and stuff like that. Right. right? Yeah. You hear that hear shit. That right? right. And so I was like, is that real? I actually found something from the U.N. Commission of Human Rights from 2021. I can't remember the exact date in 2021, but it was like a news release being like, we're very troubled about the reports that we're hearing from China of, you know, people, prisoners, usually religious minorities, um, being, you know, used as organ donors on, on, against their will, uh, which is really fucked up. And something to think about when you watch the Olympics that are upcoming that... It's a whole nother can of worms that we could go into. So if, yeah, the, you, uh, but we'll save the half pipe and suddenly you just see a load of offal come spewing down the off. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, that, that could lose some viewers pretty rapidly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Interesting story from the science perspective. You know, big breakthrough. Big, big breakthrough. Yeah. Massive. Uh, but, yeah, very, a lot of weird questions that come up for. Well, that's a nice cheery note to kick, tip the year off with, isn't it? So, um China selling yeah. organs. Tell everyone you know. <laughs> first come, first serve. First come, first serve. If I disappear in the next, you know, <laughs> 24 to 48 hours, it's not because I have COVID. I, I can well, never go so, to China. I've said too much stuff on the internet. Like they would, you have, they yeah. would never let me There in. would be all number of flags that would yeah. go off when they scanned your passport at the border. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll we'll wait and see uh, to see how this this one plays out. And I mean, it's not going to be a fast moving story, uh, but I will keep an eye on to see how the guy actually does because that's that's the big question, right? Is that's the interesting yeah. bit? And that actually, I hadn't since the initial story broke. I actually, I think it was earlier this week. Actually, I looked to see, and I couldn't. Find I couldn't any find anything he's done. So. Uh, so, I presume no news is good yeah, news. Exactly, I think so. I think so. So, switching gears. Okay, you let me tell you, Flash, about something very topical that we, you know we may have had you know too much of, but let's talk about killer virus mm -hmm. and vaccines. Well, this old story. Well, you know, others have you know covered this, but I think that I think there's some new ground here, and the way I'm going to break new ground, as you know, we are the saviors of modern media, as we know, and we we know we want to break new ground. This is a killer virus for elephants. So it's not COVID. Uh, it's actually a member of the, the herpes virus family. So it's... Um, those dirty e elephants. E well, exactly. You don't just know where those trunks have been. So it's um, <laughs> EEHV, elephant endotheliotrophic herpes virus. Um, sounds gross. Is what I, it does. Just the name yeah, of it, doesn't it? Sounds it sounds awful. It sounds awful. Um, so it was um, first discovered in 1990, um, but it was formally characterized in 1999 um, by researchers in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, it's a 
horrific virus for elephants. So the mortality rate is up to 85%, uh, mostly in young elephants from about 18 months to three years of age. Um, and usually once you see symptoms, it's too late. So um, spotted obviously a lot in um, captive bred elephants because obviously that you know they're being health checked and monitored a lot of the time. Right. Um, so usually I the think first captive animals they, too they might suffer from inbreeding and uh, that would affect the immune system as well. But well, and that was one of the questions I had when I was researching this. So stick a pen right. in that and remind me because I will forget. Um, so usually what they see with these um, elephants that are infected is they get lethargic, they start to get mouth lesions, and by that stage, usually it's too late. Mm. Um, but hopefully help is on the way. So the University of Surrey, which is in the UK, and um, it's not the newest vet school anymore, but um, it's one of the newer vet schools in the UK, uh, is teamed up with Chester Zoo um, to trial a new vaccine. Mm. So um, Chester Zoo have uh, lost um, several young Asians, uh, Asian elephant uh, calves <laughs> recently. Um, that, that could have been a fatal slip there, couldn't it? That would have blown up our Twitter feed. Um, so they're, they're obviously very keen to be part of the, the trial for this. So um, the virus um, was discovered, uh, as I said, in 1990, characterized in 1999, um, and actually, it's been linked to around like 52% of deaths um, of Asian elephants in EU zoos since 1985. 52, wow. Yeah. And around about 50% since um, 1980 in North American zoos. Wow. So it's actually quite widespread. Um, but going back to your point, when I started researching this, like, well, obviously, we've just screwed this up, haven't we? We've put elephants into captivity. They're not meant to be there. This virus has been detected worldwide now um, across um, multiple zoos. It's in nine different countries, but it's also being screened for and has been found in wild elephants. Mm. So now there's the question of, well, was this a naturally occurring virus that we brought into captivity? And as you said, then, you know, there's been an impact on whatever the immune system through breeding or being in captivity that's then turned this virus into a pure killer. Or has the virus mutated? That that still isn't yeah. known, and that's that's. Or has it gone from yeah, zoo there. to now the wild populations? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so what they've what they've said is actually because it's a herpes virus. Actually, the herpes virus you know mutates a lot. It's actually very difficult, if nigh on impossible, to actually prevent. So they they basically said, look, to try and prevent infection just isn't going to be possible. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is prevent serious disease now this is where it might ring some similarities to another virus that we're all uh, on board with at the moment mm -hmm. um so yeah the vaccine trials started this week um and actually um because now everyone is a vaccine expert aren't they so it's actually based on the scaffold in inverted commas of an already existing vaccine so it, it's not a new mnra vaccine or anything like that the the vaccine they've actually taken is the um vaccine that is given to elephants against cowpox because elephants apparently get cowpox hmm. um so they've um found a way of just inserting proteins into this this virus to hopefully trigger some sort of immune response um what i really liked about this story was um when you went online there was some little clips um 
the the elephants at Chester Zoo are so well cared for and used to being handled or whatever. That's kind of one of the reasons, apart from the high mortality rate, that's been signed up because they need to take blood samples and mm. do regular health checks. So they're so comfortable with that. They're used to it. So the clips online of you know these elephants just coming up and offering, they take the blood from the ears, so offering their ears while they get a treat and you know scratch under the 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 ear or wherever it was um, amazing. So yeah, I think. It, just an interesting one to watch, you know, when we talk about, you know, viruses and vaccines, you know, there's more than just one virus out there and there's more than just Pfizer, AstraZeneca mm-hmm. and J&J mm-hmm. vaccines out there. Well, um, but yeah, the interesting question you raise is where did the vaccine come from? Will we ever trace it back? Is it is it a naturally occurring virus, virus that's mutated yeah, yeah. or have we done something that's kicked it Yeah, off? well, and what's the risk to wild populations, right? Like if we have bred a, a super virus in captivity um, and it gets out into wild populations, that's a big, that's an issue. Or is it yet right. that the environment of captivity makes what in wild populations isn't a big deal, makes it a big deal. Um, but then too, like what, you know, if it is, if it is a threat to wild elephants, do we then go out and start vaccinating wild elephants? So I'm pretty sure we do that with some and anim- some wild animals. I think we do vaccinate you know, deer uh, in do, North America, I, do, like, I think. We, we do. And I think for rabies yeah. in some countries as well, yeah, they, yeah. they have vaccination policies for, for animals. Yeah. I think it'd be an interesting one. I, I think for me, when I first saw, obviously, I saw killer virus and vaccine, and oh, and then discovered it was about elephants. Mm-hmm. But then exactly that, it, it's that bigger question of, you know, where did it come from? Where's it going to go? And what are we going to do with it when it's there? You know, are, are essentially all animals going to end up in a zoo because that's the only place we can vaccinate them in the future? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's a little depressing uh, if that's the, if, you know, if, if, if we breed it, if we've bred a killer elephant virus in captivity and then it gets loosed out onto yeah, the, exactly. you know. They're not they're not even safe in captivity yeah. anymore because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not just being shot by the Tiger King. Not, and that's Tabby Bruce just coming in. So probably hear this cat flap in the background smashed yeah. through. Yeah. It, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, first steps first. Let's see how the elephants at Chester do. And then uh, and then we go from there. But it, I guess it's now part of two. It's got to be a, a monitoring surveillance effort uh, in wild populations. But if it's if it if the mortality rate is so high in captivity, obviously, we're not seeing that in in wild no, populations exactly. yet. So that's a good thing. Seems like we would know it by now if it was out there, in the same way. Yeah, I think they were saying at Chester they've had um, in the last few years. I think they said they they've bred five. They've had or they've had five calves born, four of which have died. Wow. So um, yeah, you know, a massive impact. But as you said, we're not, as far as I'm aware, we're not seeing that level of mortality out out in the wild. So yeah, yeah. has this escaped from a lab in China or? zoo in chester or wherever yeah it just shows what biology can do you know right you know and not always for good but you know hopefully hopefully there was it a george soros funded plot to take out the elephants in captivity 
well, what's this space? You know, maybe instead of Ebola, I can give an elephant virus update going forward. So uh, that'd probably be easier to make a sound effect for. We just get an elephant. And what what was that? That was the sound of an elephant. What what, with asthma? With the herpes virus on its snout. Oh, okay, okay. Now, now I get it. It wasn't quite the roaring bugle-like trunk noise I was expecting. Well, that's what happens when you get. You know, when you've been sticking your snout in places it shouldn't be. Okay, well, watch this space, and there there might be a uh, EEHV update at some point in the in the future, and hopefully, good news. As yeah, well. sounds good. Uh, you got another one for us, right? Um, yeah, another another short one. We're going to move away from biology. You know, you and I love physics. Um, and Don't we, understand you know, a lick of it, but love it exactly. But we love it, so you know, so. Um, you and I, Flash, you know, we stick together. You know, we we are like a pair of magnets, aren't That's we, true. at times? You know, even with hundreds, thousands of miles between us, you know, that bond always pulls us back. I'm pretty sure that's what together. the reviews of the podcast say. Is like there's some kind of magnetic energy between these two. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so let's focus on that magnetic energy. So uh, this week, the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering um, was announced. Never um, heard of it. It's also coined, well, it's also coined the, the Nobel Prize for Engineering. Probably um, why I have never heard of it. <laughs> well, so, you know, the unofficial Nobel Prize for Engineering. So uh, this year's uh, laureate recipient is Dr. Uh, Masato Sagawa uh, from Japan. Nailed it. Well, you know, I am down with my uh, Japanese language skills, let me tell you. Uh, so this Japanese scientist, because I'll save us all from the embarrassment of massacring his name again, um, he invented the uh, neodymium iron boron magnet. Oh, that old that old magnet. Yeah, that that old chestnut. So the NDFEB magnet to give it its chemical equation uh, name. Um, what's that? I hear. You know, the three people that are listening uh, yell from a long distance two or three days in the future. Uh, well, it is the strongest permanent magnet in wide-scale use today. Uh, it's used everywhere from cars to computers um, to motors. So if if you have a laptop and you've got a hard disk drive in it, that's magnetic. That has one of these magnets hmm. in it. If you have an electric motor that has a magnet in the middle. If you have a wind turbine that has a giant magnet in the middle. So these are kind of everywhere. And they're actually saying that part of the reason um, that uh, Dr. Sagawa has been given the award is because of the increasing use of magnets that we're going to see an explosion of. So they're predicting that by the middle of this decade, uh, the magnet industry will uh, increase to... A, about a $20 billion industry. Shit, buy um, your magnet because, stocks now. Exactly, yeah. Never mind crypto, start buying magnets. Yeah. Um, the reason behind that is really been driven by the green energy movement. So right. green tech, such as wind turbines, electric motors, motors yeah. electric motors and things. Um, but actually, it's not a recent invention. So it's over 40 years old. So it was in the, in the 80s this breakthrough came. So up until the 80s, they used to use a samarium cobalt magnet. Um, but cobalt Terrible. is very rare. Exactly. What, my pronunciation or the magnet itself? Yeah, Slovenian cobalt magnets. Who uses that anymore? <laughs> well, exactly. Um, so the cobalt in there is quite rare. So 
um, some very clever scientists thought, well, actually, we could maybe swap out cobalt for iron. Iron's a lot more readily available, mm-hmm. a lot cheaper. Um, so that was their, their goal. So um, what they first did was iron plus this neodymium. So neodymium is the third... I love this. It's the third most abundant rare earth element. So it's both abundant and rare in the same sentence. Yeah, great bit of marketing yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, when you put those two, just those two elements together, the iron and the, the neodymium, you get a magnet, and it, it works really well. The issue with it is when a magnet gets hot, it loses its magnetic properties. Right. you got to keep them cooled a lot of times, yeah. Exactly. So I, I think we touched on on this in one of the early shows about a super magnet, where if you chilled it down, yeah. you know, could be like the whole levitation yeah. thing. Um, so then what they discovered is actually if you add some boron into that, it raises what they call the Curie, as as in the Curie scientist, uh, temperature. So that's that's the point at which magnetic properties are lost. So the higher that temperature, the more resilient yeah. the magnet. Um, and what that's critical for is for the use in cars and things like yeah. that, um, because they obviously run at high high temperatures. Well, and, and just so, not, yeah, I know there's some applications too where you just you have to have this whole yeah super cooling system. Yeah, even exactly. when it's not in a motor, yeah. like I think MRIs and stuff like that, so they have to be like super cooled and stuff like that. So so yeah, so by combining these three elements, boom, we've got a super strong magnet. So. When I was researching this, um, it turns out that there should also be an honourable mention given. So uh, Dr. John Crote, who's an American scientist. Nailed it. Um, thank you. Also, um, not also, based at General Motors, actually. Um, but him and Dr. Sagawa actually independently arrived at the same time, the same solution. Hmm. Which is this mix of um, these different elements. This mix of the three elements. So rather than the two elements, which used cobalt, so it wasn't long-term sustainable, and also it, as soon as it got hot, yeah. the magnetic properties went away. Um, and actually, I remember as a kid having magnets that after a couple of years, just they stopped They just stopped sticking. working, yeah. Yeah. Um, Shows how old so, you are. Yeah. Cobalt well, you know, magnets. <laughs> that's a whole new level of insult, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? That's a real science yeah. insult there. You I remember when there was cobalt magnets. Yeah, Samarium <laughs> mix magnet. <laughs> um, so Dr. Croak gets an honourable mention. Um, he's not actually sharing the Queen Elizabeth Award, um, which may seem a little bit harsh, although he is actually sharing has shared some other awards, and actually there's another award later this year that they they both will share. Um, The difference between the two scientists um, was they they discovered the same thing, but through different ways. And actually the manufacturing process differs slightly from both. So actually, and I I think this is really interesting, Dr. Sagawa's uh, process of manufacturing is actually uh, more expensive, more difficult, um, you know, more intense. Mm -hmm. But the flip side of that um, is that you, or the north side or south side, you know, little magnetic pole joke there for those of you. Oh, I get it. Uh, Yeah. Is uh, you actually get a significantly stronger magnet. So that's what it's better. Um, You get a cost more, but it's better. Yeah, better. Um, So when I read that, I just thought, A, I'd never heard of the Queen Elizabeth Awards. Interesting. I love physics interesting magnets who doesn't love a magnet um the bit that really struck me though and i think this is where and we've talked about this a lot of scientists get into science 
because they love science, not because they're ever going to become rich mm -hmm. or because they're ever going to become famous. It's it's a vocation. It's a passion, especially those doing PhDs. You know, that's a hard slog, as you well mm. know, sir. You need a driving force for that. What really hit me about this story is Dr. Sagawa is 78 this year. He is still working to improve this technology. So he's 78. He's won multiple awards. He's still going. And what he's actually trying to do now is um, add in a, another element uh, called diasprosium, um, which is a very, very scarce um, element, but it's actually more heat resistant um, than boron and other things. And actually by adding that in, um, the hope is that these magne the magnets would then become even more useful in situations where you have extreme heat. So, um, and they're talking now specifically about a lot of electric cars, right. you know, that <clears throat> that's where they're starting to see issues with some sort of wear out in motors and things in the future because of the heat. So yeah, he's 78 and he's still working on this. And that, that to me was almost as credible as his discovery itself that, you know, this guy's just not done. He just wants to keep on improving what he's already discovered. Scientists, you know, really passionate about what they do. Also, no lives. Or as some will say, scientists can't live with them. Can't live with them. Boring people that have no hobbies, <laughs> nothing else to do. <laughs> Eggheads in the lab. I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. But I'm glad they exist. Yeah, well, me too. You know, the fact that we're talking via my laptop that has a hard disk rammed in it with a magnet that... Mm -hmm. well, and I think that's the interesting thing, to, you know, that, that that popped up to me when we were talking about this one offline was, yeah, like all the uses of magnets, you know, it's like when you texted me when we were going to, you know, arranging to do the podcast and I was like, oh, yeah, I got the heart transplant story. It's going to be great. You know, blah, 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 all this. And you're just like, I got something about magnets. I think I wrote back to you. Magnets are cool. And I don't know. Exactly I don't know if you got the sarcasm that I was putting on that. <laughs> Like, it's cool, magnets. I, I actually took that as you were really excited, <laughs> which is why I, I brought the story in. But and, and like in the, the article I was reading, or one of the articles I was reading, it was saying actually mobile phones are crammed full of magnets. Where? What are they? I'm kind of intrigued what the magnets are doing in, yeah. I guess maybe with some of the near-field technology or something, I don't know. So No idea. Yeah. yeah that they're in every every walk of life technology so yeah when when i when i read it i was like oh magnet i remember having magnets as a kid and i read how much you know we actually use them and rely on them it's like, oh, okay and as you you know you mentioned uh, mri so i almost gave it its proper name then of nmri yeah. but the nuclear bit of that always scares people so they drop yeah. the in good bit of marketing yeah. there yeah definitely uh yeah 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 no that's uh yeah good on magnets all right and yeah. yeah, good on these guys plugging away at this. Seventy-eight years old, improving our magnets, improving the world. Um, Maybe he's just stuck to his desk. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he's got <laughs> a metallic belt and it's just stuck to the magnet, and he just he's been stuck there for the last forty years. He really wants to go home and see his wife. It's and kids, like a but... real sort of Shakespearean tragedy, you know. He built this great magnet, and now he's stuck to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just can't escape it. All right. Well, I mean, I think that kind of wraps it up. I had one other thing. We were talking. Let's talking about heat. We're talking about physics and stuff like this. Let me just plug this real quick. Yes, because like every three physics. years, every five years, we hear about, you know, some kind of breakthrough in 
X technology that's going to lead to, you know, X great thing in, in the, in the world. And I guess this year is the year for some fusion news, fusion, the great. So is this the year? Is this the year? No, (laughs) no. For complete fusion? No, but we are one step closer, apparently, according to the eggheads in the lab. Um, so fusion, of course, is the process where uh, you're actually forcing atoms together. Hydrogen, I believe. Uh, well, I think you can do it with all sorts of atoms, but we're basing this. Let's start with. Let's start with. We'll hydrogen. start with hydrogen. Yeah. I think that's what the sun uses, and this is you know sort of the basis of uh, the idea of trying to build basically a mini sun. Um, that would provide us energy and fusion. The, the great promise of fusion is that uh, if you can get this reaction going, such as what happens in stars in the sun, um, mm-hmm. it actually produces more energy than it, than it takes to, to make it right. So it becomes, you know, the ultimate efficient energy source because it's giving you more than what you put in. So right. uh, and the only way that it works in space in stars is because you have extreme extreme gravity uh pressure mass heat all of these things that can only sort of exist in these super dense cores of stars so we can't really we haven't been able to make that uh in a machine in a reactor on on earth however according to paper in nature that was just released in end of january They've been able to get the plasma. So you get this, you know, super hot plasma. Uh, you're zapping it with lasers. You're putting it in this, this capsule, this reaction container that's, you know, pressurized. And you're trying to recreate these. And you're trying to get it to ignite, right? So that the, so that the reaction then just starts continually going over and over and over on itself. And then producing this heat, right? So they've been able to get it to ignite, is what is is what this next step is what this big step is and so basically you know they're zapping it with like i think it's like 192 lasers they're using to lasers lasers to zap this thing and they got it to the point where um the heat that it was giving off or like the the energy uh it was it was kind of just like it was burning. It was sustaining itself. Like it wasn't a full sustainment of the thing that would like then keep building and stuff. But they reached this threshold where it's like they've never reached that before. Uh, and they were able to, um, you know, it started moving basically, I guess is the best way to put it. Like they right. got the embers, but they can't get the full fire. So okay. according to, according to, you know, the eggheads in the lab, this is we're one step closer uh, and it's only a matter of time. So check back here in 10 years where we'll say, hey, in another 10 years, we'll have fusion. Uh, just like every 10 years. But, hey, wouldn't that be grand? Uh, well, yeah. and Solve a lot of problems. It would solve a lot of problems. And I slightly realized that I did see there's some sort of EU movement to rebadge uh, gas and nuclear energy as, uh, is it green or renewable yeah. energy? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, little bit controversial but you know this potentially once you get it going yeah this this is star trek stuff oh yeah and i mean and people have been talking about this forever right and i I remember you know yeah even 10 15 years ago there was 
some other breakthrough that we're closer, we're closer, we're closer. And I mean, this is how science goes. I don't mean to make it sound like I I don't believe that this could ever work, but this is one of those things that like people have been talking about for a long time uh, to do. And it's depending on who you talk to, it's not even possible. Like some people say it's not even, some physicists will say it's not even possible, but it seems like they some obviously think yeah, it is. It's, yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I don't understand a lot of what, what I was reading, <laughs> but the gist that I got was that they did, they got this, this energy threshold. They got this sort of, you know, input or out, or sorry, output out of it where they could say, okay, it's, it's burnt. Like the reaction is burning itself. Like it's not, right. the matter is, is, is 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 now fueling this reaction it's not just our lasers there's something else going on uh see what i want to know with that bit is you said it was 192 192 lasers how did they work that so was there some sort of calculation they said we need 192 lasers for this guys or did they just go stick one on uh stick another one on i've got stick stick 10 on you're like what what happens if we stick another 20 on and do they eventually get to the point? How did they get to 192? Because that's quite a odd number. Just to pick. honestly, with my experience in the lab, I guarantee it was just like <laughs> what you just said. Oh shit! We don't have <laughs> enough. Another get one. another one. <laughs> we don't have enough yet. Get another one. <laughs> Running around the building, unplugging lasers yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. sticking it all yeah, over. Yeah. Exactly. Just gathering them all up, trying to find power bars to plug them all in. You know. <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows? Well, do you want me to to wrap up quick summary of where we've been Let's today? Let's wrap it up. So uh, we've discovered that truckers are worth millions. Mm. So, you know, be careful who you cut up on the road because they could have a lot of money that they're uh, willing to, to spread We didn't around. mention so. in that story, which we should right now, the GoFundMe page was frozen be- because was. they uh, the organizers could not provide adequate um, documentation of how the money was going to be spent. Which apparently oh, really? is... Okay. Uh, I saw it was frozen, yeah, but I didn't know why. It's part of the serve, terms of service and stuff with GoFundMe. It's like you actually have to lay out a plan of like, this is what we're going to do. Because it's fundraising, right? Like it's not just, hey, donate money, never ask where it goes. Um, so yeah, another another angle to this story. These friggin' far-right populist movements, grifters. It's all a grift somebody's out to make money and somebody just made some money so <laughs> that's my opinion anyway okay so tricker so actually truckers may or may not be worth millions depending on who's siphoned off all that right, cash exactly that's okay um we also learned it, it's slightly ironic that you eat too much bacon too many sausages and you might actually end up needing that pig's heart to keep you alive <laughs> to end up eating more sausage and bacon there's there's perpetual motion infusion for you oh right my there. god yeah eat, eat bacon eat sausages need a pig heart yeah 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 and the cycle continues i wonder if it tastes better once you have the pig heart or if you all of a sudden don't like it yeah well there's that that is a science experiment that needs to be conducted right maybe um, you feel guilty all of then, a sudden well yeah yeah who knows maybe yeah and then lastly we learned you can never have enough lasers lasers or magnets for yeah. that matter well, lasers, exactly. You can never have enough lasers or magnets. What I really want to know is, and this is pure science, they had 192 lasers. Would it really fuck shit up if we did 193? Yeah, that's too many like, lasers. Would, would the space-time continuum just rip apart? Yeah. We'd eat itself and we'd just implode. You know, there's one guy that's like, come on, guys. Come on, guys. One more. 
let's do one more. Sure. And they always have to be like, Jesus, Brent, calm down. <laughs> we got enough lasers. You're like, you're like Dr. Yeah. Evil, a laser. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the elephants. We'll see what happens with the lasers. We'll continue on. And uh, thanks, Brad. Thank you to the listeners also for for tuning in. Yeah, happy new year to the the listeners. This is well, this is our first joint show of the year, isn't it? So um, happy new year to the listeners. If you want to get in touch with the show, then at Two Brad for You on Twitter, on Instagram. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, Britt Brad, it's at Bradley W Hayes on the old Twitter. Uh, Flash, if they want to hit you up, or we've got WhatsApp, we've got email you, you do uh, yeah at bbamparadon is me on the socials uh, go to the website dobradview.wordpress.com there you will find an email address you will also find a way to leave us voicemails if you want to leave us voicemails which we will play on the show as long as they're not gross don't leave us gross <laughs> I mean you can leave us gross we'll listen to it and laugh but that yeah. might not make it on air um, yeah dobradview.wordpress.com that's the best way. Just go there, check everything out. Well, Flash, thank you, as we said. It's been amazing. Listeners, thank you. And uh, see you all. Well, we won't see you because we can't see you. That's not the way a podcast works. But uh, I'll see you next time, Flash, and uh, hopefully hear from some listeners in the future. So stay safe, everyone. <laughs>